Lord Jesus, we together proclaim, as we've just done, that your name stands unrivaled. You are the highest. You are the greatest. You are the Lord of all. And so it's our prayer this morning that you've been pleased with our meager attempts to express to you the worth of who you are. Lord of all. And it's my prayer, Jesus, that you'll not only be the prayer, not only be the the Lord of our worship, but the Lord of our lives. We pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Well, it's the end of the year, the last Sunday of 2008, and uh, usually this week I get real reflective. You know, I kind of like to look back at this year and what God's done and what's going on with me, good or bad or indifferent, kind of evaluate and look forward to the next year, 2009, and what I hope to see God do in me and uh, through me and all those different things. Any, anybody here make still make resolutions? You still do that thing? Some of us do, some of us not. There's a few of us here in the room. But New Year's coming just a few days away. And as I've been thinking, as I've been reflecting, this particular song from Switchfoot, which was a big hit this past year, really has kind of kept coming to me. And let me, let me share the lyrics with you. I bet a lot of you know it. It goes like this. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Is it everything that you dreamed that it would be when the world was younger and you had everything to lose? Yesterday as a kid in the corner, yesterday is dead and over. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? This is your life. Are you who you want to be? You see, who you are is the result of the choices that you make. And so in a very real sense, if you aren't who you want to be, the only one you have to blame for that is that guy that you look at in the mirror every morning. Isn't that true? It's choices that determines who we're going to be. And and sure, I'm not diminishing the fact that, that there's other circumstances. Life throws things at us and difficulties and woundings and hurtings. And clearly, those come into play with uh, who we are. We carry those with us as we go through. But I've also learned that who you are has a lot less to do with what happens to you than it does to how you respond to what happens to you. Isn't that true? So it comes back again to this issue of choices. And so on this last Sunday, in this last week of 2008, I'm going to ask you to look at your life and to ask the question, are you who you want to be? And if you're not, to choose to do something about it. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, let me invite you to take it and turn to the Old Testament book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua 24. Joshua is about six, well, it's not about, it is six books in. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the book of Joshua to the 24th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, and probably even if you do, you'll also want to reach inside your worship folder and pull out this uh, message page, this half sheet that goes with it. It has the passages that we're going to look at this morning, as well as some blanks that you can fill in and some white space if you care to write some other things in there as well. But we want to start with this passage from Joshua chapter 24. Joshua is having a discussion with the people of God. And we start in verse 16 with their answer to Joshua. They say, it says that then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods, other little g gods. See, it was the Lord our God, the big G God, the Lord our God himself, who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery, and he performed those great signs before our eyes. And he protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. And so we will serve the Lord because he's our God. And in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you're a witness against yourself that you have chosen. That's the word you might want to circle. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Joshua says, let's be clear about this. This is a choice that you're making. And it's a choice that's going to have other choices that go along with it because it's not just a one-time choice. This choice to make God your God, to follow Him, to serve Him only, is going to mean that you're going to constantly have to make the choice to rid these little g-gods out of your life. They're going to keep coming in, and you're going to have to keep identifying them and pushing them out. It's a choice that you're going to have to make that's followed by many other choices to truly be God's people. It's choices. They're important because they lead you. I love this little clip from Lewis Carroll's great classic, Alice in Wonderland. Alice is having a discussion with the Cheshire cat. And let me just read you these few Sentences. It says, the cat only grinned when it saw Alice. It looked good-natured, she thought. Still, it had very long claws and a great many teeth, so she felt that it ought to be treated with respect. Cheshire Push, she began rather timidly, as she did not know at all whether it would like the name. However, it only grinned a little wider. Come, it's pleased so far, thought Alice. And so she went on, would you tell me, please, 
which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. Well, I don't much care where, said Alice. Then, said the cat, it doesn't matter which way you go. See, I think that's a significant truth that's revealed in there because I think what happens to us a lot of times is we view the choices that we make, the decisions that we make, the things that we do is just sort of unattached to where it is that we want to go. But we have to realize that every choice we make leads us somewhere. All of the actions that we take are taking us somewhere. And so unless we've determined who we want to be, we won't know which choices to make to get us there. In fact, what will happen to us is we'll just continue to make bad choice after bad choice and experience consequence after consequence in our, in our lives. And then we'll find ourselves standing there going, why am I here? I want to be over here. This is who I want to be, but why am I here? It's because we don't understand that we've got to determine who we want to be, and then the choices we make are the things that will lead us to be there. And so on this last Sunday of 2008, I want to talk about three things that we need to start living by if we're going to be who we want to be. So here's the first one. You can fill in the blanks if you care to do so. It's this, that we've got to start living by our commitments rather than by our feelings. See, it's my observation that most people, including most Christians, but most of us make choices primarily on the basis of our feelings rather than by the things that we've determined, by the commitments that we've made. In fact, I think this is such a big issue in the lives of Christians that I spent six months preaching on feelings at the church that I was at in Houston. It wasn't the same message for six months. It was different nuances, different aspects, you know. But we talked about feelings for six months. And every week, people would say to me, boy, I see that, I see that, how that's damaging my Christian life. I see how this is keeping me from doing the things that God wants me to to be. And at the end of six months, you know what I found? I found out that we were just as controlled by our feelings as ever. See, it's just so pervasive in our culture. We live in a world that is driven by our feelings. And so if we're going to be different, if we're going to be who we want to be, we have to de- decide. We have to make the choice that we're going to live by our commitments rather than be led by our feelings. Now, let me give you a couple of truths about feelings. You may want to write these down. Here's one of them, is that feelings aren't bad. In fact, feelings are good. They're a God-given thing. God's given us feelings to warn us, to alert us to to what's going on inside. Whether that's fear or or anger or hurt or or insecurity or any other number of feelings that you want to name, God has given us those feelings so that when we recognize them, we'll say, hey, what's going on here with me? 
What's going on around me that's causing me to feel this way? Don't ever say to yourself, man, if I were a better Christian, I wouldn't feel that way. That's not true. Feelings are good things. They're God-given things. But here's what a second truth that goes with that, is that feelings are lousy leaders in your life. Because the vast majority of time when you follow your feelings, they will take you to places that you don't really want to go. There's lust and the opportunity to give in to that lust. And if we face that, everything inside of us is screaming. It would feel so good to give in to this improper relationship, to, to do this thing that I know God wouldn't approve of, to, to just this once, you know, do this. And when we follow our feelings in those situations, it almost always takes us to places we don't really want to be, where the results are all bad. Fear. A lot of us are controlled by our fears. We come and we hear God speak to us, whether it's through a, a message or a teaching or whether it's through reading God's word on our own. And, and the Holy Spirit starts to speak something into us and we, we cut them off at the pass because we think, oh, I couldn't do that. I'd be so afraid to do that. And we let our fear lead us and we miss out on all the things that God has in mind for us. Our anger. You know, rather than, than using that anger to, to really ask, well, man, what is happening inside of me? What is going on that that's caused me to be so upset about that? Or, you know, what goal got blocked? Rather than doing that, we either, we either push down our anger or we just let it explode in an uncontrolled way. And both of them lead to bad things. You know, trying to, trying to stuff your anger, it's like trying to keep beach balls down in a pool. That's what it's like, isn't it? And eventually what happens? One of them balls is going to come popping up. Or I bet even in this room, there's many of us that know the harmful damage of when we just let anger explode in an uncontrolled way, either from personally doing it ourselves or being the victim of someone else's anger that leads to brokenness and woundedness and hurt. See, we need to learn to feel our emotions. Feelings are good things. They're God-given things. And use them to examine what's going on inside of us. But don't let them lead you. You see, here's what happens to a great many of us. As we go to church or, or we read God's Word... And we're really challenged. The Holy Spirit really speaks to us about something. And, and, and we cry out to God, God, I'm, I'm sorry. God, forgive me for this. God, I, I really don't want to do this anymore. Or God, I really do want to do this. And I really want to step into this thing for you. And, and all of this is going on. And then temptation comes along. The opportunity for disobedience to that comes along. And we give in. We follow our feelings. We don't do it, or we do do it, or whatever, and that's followed by guilt and frustration. And after a while, we just give up, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
We've got to learn to be led by our commitments rather than letting our feelings lead us around. Now, part of this for some of us might just be the fact that the only tool we have in our toolbox is self-control. So what happens is the temptation, the opportunity comes along and we just find ourselves giving in and we're frustrated and we're mad at ourselves and we do, but, but we just, and we keep, I'm just going to try harder and, and I'm going to try self-control more. I'm just going to be, you know, and we, and that, that's what leads to that cycle of frustration. The problem is the only tool we have in our toolbox is self-control. Sometimes the issue is that that sin in our lives has too strong a grip on us. You see, we've surrendered legal ground in our lives. It's become a stronghold for us. And we'll never self-control ourselves out of it. We need an encounter. We do encounter weekends around here. We're doing a men's one the end of January and a women's one the first weekend of February. You'll hear us starting to talk about registering for those soon. But maybe the other another tool that you need in your toolbox is you need a weekend where you go away and really claim back the freedom that's rightfully yours because of the shed blood of Christ that we sang about this morning. That it has no guilt, that no plan of man can take charge of that because of the shed blood of Christ. And you need to break that chain. You need that other tool in your toolbox. Maybe another tool that you need in your toolbox is you need support. You need accountability by being in a small group or being connected to a spiritual partner, someone that will help you face that struggle and successfully succeed in dealing with it. See, accountability isn't just... Somebody grabbing you by the face and rubbing your nose in your sin every time you disobey God. I mean, who would want that, right? What accountability is, is people that care about you and love you and who come around you and help you in the struggle to do what it is that you say you want to do so that you can be led by your commitments rather than your feelings. Maybe some of us need that in our toolbox, but... Whatever it is, if we're going to be who it is that we want to be, we've got to do the things that will help us to be, to live by our commitments rather than our feelings. Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, he says this. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Here's the next phrase. Here's what I want you to remember. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. What in the world is that phrase, their God is their stomach? Does that mean they have like a little bronze belly in their bedroom that they light incense for? I mean, that's not what it means. It means their God, little g God, the thing that controls them is what feels good. You know, you eat a big meal, it feels good. They're controlled, they're led by their feelings. Paul says don't do that. If you're going to be who it is that you've determined that you want to be, then learn to live by your commitments rather than by your feelings. Here's the second thing. 
if we're going to be who we want to be, is that we've got to start living by our determined priorities rather than by what screams loudest. See, most of us are just way too busy. How many of you would agree with me on that, right? I mean, jobs that demand from us a lot of times more than we want to give and, you know, kids that are busy with good things, sports and academic stuff and band and dance and all of these kind of things. And as a result, we find ourselves going and coming and meeting ourselves part way and falling in bed exhausted at night. Let me give you a little exercise that'll help you with that. Between now and the end of the year, between now and January 1st, just get out a sheet of paper and write down on that sheet of paper everything it is that you do. Stuff that you do. Leave out your job stuff because that's kind of imposed on you, we'll say, but, but everything else, everything in your life that you do. And then step two to that is, then what I want you to do after you get that big long list, is I want you to circle the things that you have determined to do. The things that you have said, yep, you know what, this item right here, I want to make sure I'm doing this. Here's what I expect most of us will find, is that we won't have that much circled. That most of the stuff we do really for the most part has been because somebody else has determined it for us and we've let them. Now, some of it you're just going to have to do. But if we're going to be who we want to be, we've got to get back in charge of deciding what our determined priorities are going to be rather than letting somebody else decide them for us. Let me give you a couple of helps as you're reassessing what you're going to do. A couple of thoughts. Here would be one, is that every yes is a no to something else. See, I I think we get into doing a lot of things because we just keep saying yes to things. And we think, well, I'll find time for it somewhere. Well, the problem is that time's got to come from something, right? That energy's got to come from somewhere. And we've got to start realizing every time I say yes to something, whether I realize it or not, I'm saying no to something else in my life. And so I've got to be more cautious about what I say yes to. Something else. Here, here, here's another thing I'll tell you. Is just because something is good and worthwhile doesn't mean you're the one who should be doing it. See, again, I think we find ourselves doing a lot of things because it's a good thing. And somebody really ought to be doing this. But we have to learn that maybe somebody isn't me. That just because somebody ought to be doing this doesn't necessarily mean I ought to be doing this. In fact, I want to help you this morning. We're going to practice saying no. Are you ready? On three. One, two, three. No! That felt pretty good, didn't it? Let's do it again. One, two, three. No! Some of you didn't participate. See, already you're doing it. See, you're saying no. That's good. That's good. You're putting it into practice. See, we've got to be able to say 
no to things in order to be able to say yes to better things. Let me give you an illustration about this. In our church, we have a pretty high premium about small groups. It's part of our membership covenant. When you become a partner with us, you say, I'm going to be a part of a small group. It's one of the three habits that we say are paramount to you really being able to advance spiritually is being a part of a small group. And yet in our church, less than half of the adults in our church are in a small group. Now, why is that? I talk to people regularly about small groups, and very rarely have I ever heard someone say to me, well, you know those small groups, they're evil. They're bad, bad. No, I, I choose not to want to be a part of one of those bad, evil things. You know, don't, I, I very rarely hear that. What I hear more people say a lot is, well, yeah, I really should be in a small group, and you know what? I'm going to be when... You know, when tax season is over, when soccer season is over, when, you know, this happens, when this, and it just doesn't happen, see? Now, here's my point. Don't go out and join a small group this week because you feel guilty or because I'm the one screaming the loudest right now. That's not the point. You've missed the point. The point is, whatever the issue is, if we're going to be who we have chosen to be, then we've got to start living by what we determine will be our priorities rather than letting somebody else do the determining for us. Well, there's one more, number three. Can your heart take it? Here's the third one. If we're going to be who it is that we want to be, then we've got to live, start living by what the Bible tells us rather than by our human understanding. Jesus tells a, a great story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. If you've grown up in church or been a part of Sunday school, you probably remember this story. It starts in verse 24. Jesus is the one talking here, and he says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's the key there, who lives them, who does them, who puts them into practice, Jesus says, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation. On the rock. But, here's the contrast. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. See, there it is. Who doesn't do them. Who doesn't live them. Who does not put them into practice, Jesus says, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. You see, the question is, what is it that you're building your life on? Are you building it on the solid foundations of the teachings of God's Word? Or are you 
building it on the sandy foundation of anything other than what Jesus teaches. You see, the one leads to stability. And the other leads to crashes in your life. See, we've got to determine that we're going to live by what God's Word says rather than by human understanding. Now, the minute I say that, people, people start saying this. In fact, I bet some of you are thinking it. Yeah, but there's so much I don't understand about the Bible. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. That's okay. If you'll just do these three things. Are you ready? You'll want to write them down. Here's the first one. is to determine that you will always obey what you do understand. That when you hear God's Word, when you read God's Word, when God speaks to you, you're not going to say, well, I don't know if I want to do that or not. No, you've made the determination, I'm going to always do what I do understand. That's a lot I don't understand. Yeah, I know. But I'm going to always do what I do understand. No matter what it is, I'm not going to pick and choose. I'm not going to think, well, I, I just don't feel like doing that. No, I've made the determination, number one, that I'm going to always do what I do understand. Then number two, form the habit of daily reading God's Word and letting Him speak to you. Form that habit into your life that you're going to regularly, daily, read something from God's Word and let Him speak to you. Now, let me give you a couple things that will help you with that. Number one, get a version that you can understand. Okay? I've been to seminary. This will, make, this will make some of you mad, but I'll say it anyway. I've been to seminary, and half the time when I read something out of the King James Version, I have no idea what it said. You know, it's written at a college reading level, which most of us don't read at. It uses sentence structure that was prevalent in the 1600s, but not prevalent today. It was how we read or write. Get a version that you can understand. And then secondly, get a plan. Have a plan what it is that you're going to read each day. You can use the New Life Reading Plan, you know, right here. It's at the end of your message notes each week. It's on the back of the bulletin. I mean, right now we're in Psalms. Today, if you start, you start on the 23rd Psalm. I'm in Psalm 17 because I'm usually behind. That's okay. But get a plan. I don't care whether it's the New Life Plan or some plan of your own. Get a version that you can read and understand and get a plan so that you can form the habit of daily being in God's Word. You know, something that, because I'm a pastor, I've heard this all my life from people, all my pastor life. Maybe you've said it. You ever heard anyone say, but I'm just not getting fed. Now, here's what I think every time somebody says that to me. I picture that there you are at this incredible buffet. I mean, there's steak and seafood and, you know, Texas stuff, brisket and crawfish and good stuff. <laughs> Mexican food galore. It's all up there, man. And you're not just seated at a table over here. You have, like, pulled your chair up to the buffet table right there. And you're whining 
because somebody won't come out and shovel the food into your mouth. And so here's what I think when people say, I'm just not getting fed. Pick up a fork. I'll be circulating resumes next week. No job, no longer. No, I'm serious about this. Form the habit. Well, first of all, decide that you're going to always do what you do understand from God's Word. And then secondly, form the habit of daily letting God speak to you through His Word, reading it, hearing God speak to you. And then the third thing is put yourself in community where you can have help from people who care about you, who help you do what you want to do. See, we're just real good at turning the Bible into concepts and principles and truths that we just talk about that we just never somehow get around to doing. Put yourself in in, in a small group or our connection with the spiritual partner in such a way that you'll help each other do the things that you understand from God's Word to do. See, I've become convinced that the the things that God asks us to do and the things that He commands for us to do are more about what He wants for us than what He wants from us. That God didn't just, you know, sit up in heaven and go, you know, here's an idea, I'll make them do this, just kind of arbitrary. No, that all these commands, all of these things that God asks of me as a follower of Jesus Christ, they're all for a purpose, for his plan, because they're about what he wants to do in me. That the things he asks of me are more about what he wants for me than what he wants from me. And if we're going to be people... If we're going to be a person who is going to be what we've determined that we want to be, we've got to start living by God's word rather than human understanding. James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, that last passage there in your notes, it says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not, here's the word, do... What it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. That the person who, who has God speak to them but, but doesn't do it is like a person who looks in the mirror and sees, hey, my hair's messed up, and then he goes on about his business. He doesn't make corrections. He doesn't do what the mirror tells him to do. But he says, verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And he continues to, there's the word, do this. Not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. Let me ask you, do you want the blessings of God on your life? I mean, who doesn't? Then there it is in black and white. Do what it says. Form that habit in your life. Begin doing everything that you, that you do understand. Surround yourself with people who help you do it. And learn to be a person who lives 
by the teaching of God's word rather than human understanding. Well, we've been talking this morning about choices. And um, there's a great song that, that's just been out a few months by a group called 33 Miles, their first CD, called One Life to Love. And it's a song about choices. And so I thought it'd be fitting. Steve and the praise team, they're going to they're gonna play this song for us. The words will be up on the screens. But as you listen, as you reflect through this song, I want you to think about your choices, the choices you've made and the choices you want to make. And so let's listen to this together. 